ended in foolishness. He allowed his many wives to lead his heart away from God. And Solomon's divided heart was the main reason that the kingdom eventually failed to honor God and was broken up. This heart was divided between the one true God and the many gods and goddesses of his wives. You will remember that he built the magnificent temple in Jerusalem to Jehovah, but he also built other temples to the gods and goddesses of his foreign wives. And this week, in chapter 14 of the story, which I hope you've read, we see that Solomon's heart divided the kingdom. It is when someone's heart is divided that other things get divided as well. That is true of Solomon. It is true of us today. If we have divided loyalties... We are foolish to think that we can have any strong influence in somebody else's life. We will have an influence, but it won't be a positive one. Because they'll be looking at us and they'll be saying, well, you say one thing, but you do something else. You swear allegiance to this, but you also swear allegiance to that. Now, which is true? Because they seem to be against one another. They seem to be in opposition. And parents and grandparents or anybody else that may have influence in a child's life, a young person's life, I want you to think about that for a moment as we begin. The divided heart. The divided heart. Are you sometimes disappointed that your children don't love the Lord any more than they do? Do you sometimes uh, have frustration that they don't want to pray or read their Bible or go to church or serve God or love other people or obey you or whatever. Well, one of the factors in that is what kind of influence you really have. Because not only your words must speak truth and speak what is right, but there must be your actions behind that, your own faith, your own convictions, your own allegiance to God. Perhaps one of the reasons that you have trouble with them is that they see a divided heart in you or in me. And they see the hypocrisy of that. They see the witness that, that is broken up by that. Let's think about that this morning. Because Solomon's heart was divided, wasn't it? He had all the wisdom that he could have had. In spite of that fact, he uh, overtaxed the people. He forced them into hard labor. He had projects in mind, and it became very difficult to be one of his subjects. His leadership was suffering, and then he died. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon dies. His son Rehoboam takes over the throne. He's the rightful heir to the throne, but God has already promised another man, Jeroboam, that he will be the next king of Israel. Now, let's try and keep these two guys straight. I know some of you said to me, he says, how do you keep this straight between Rehoboam and Jeroboam? Their names are so similar. This is really hard. Let me help ex explain that to you. First of all, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. He's rightful heir to the throne. He is from the tribe of Judah. Okay? So get that straight. This is the, the kingly tribe coming down through David now. This is his tribe. This is the, the family of David supposed to be on the throne from then on. Jeroboam is no relation to Solomon. He is from the tribe of Ephraim. And he is promised a throne of his own. In fact, the throne over Israel because of what Solomon had done. And this kingdom is going to be divided by God's will, by God's design. Back in 1 Kings 11, a prophet told Jeroboam that he would become king, but he had to wait. Uh, he refused to wait, tried to you know, start a rebellion, take over the kingdom. Solomon had to crush that rebellion, and Jeroboam ran away uh, to Egypt and hid for a while until Solomon had died. And then he came back, and that's where the story begins. 
When Solomon dies, his kingdom is torn in two just as God had commanded it would be. He had forewarned Solomon that this would be his judgment for worshiping other gods, and it came true. When Solomon died, Rehoboam was proclaimed king, and all of the people assembled together at a place called Shechem. All 12 tribes of the nation of Israel come together to anoint the king, to set him apart as king, but they have a question. Jeroboam has showed back up again. He has a whole group of people, kind of his faction, a large faction, and they come to this new king, and they say to him, your father ruled us with a heavy hand. He was hard on us. He, he had conscripted laborers, and he had taxes, and, and he kept pulling our people, our, our young people, our sons and daughters into service, and life was hard. It got harder and harder each year. Are you going to be the same way? Why don't you lighten the load? Why don't you ease the burden? And Rehoboam didn't answer them right away. He says, come back in three days. I'll give you my answer. So they leave for three days. They're waiting. Rehoboam goes, first of all, to the elders of Israel that had served under his father, uh, King Solomon. And he asks these elderly gentlemen, he says, what should we do? How should I respond to this? And they said, the people know what they're talking about. It's been hard. It's been really difficult these last few years. And if you will lighten their load, they will serve you forever. They will be good sub subjects. They will be loyal to you. And you should listen to that. And you should lighten the load and make life easier and better for them. Well, he didn't really like their advice very much. It didn't sound so great to him. It sounded like weakness to him. So he goes to his little buddies, his friends, the guys that he'd grown up with, and he says, what do you think I should do? And these young men who are now on his cabinet, now on his, his team, advise him just what he wanted to hear, and that was, no, you need to stay strong. You need to show that you're boss. You need to show that you're king. And you need to go back to them with the answer that my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. You think he dealt harshly with you? I'm going to get even tougher. And so on the third day, the people come back together. That's what Rehoboam answers them. I'm going to be tougher on you than ever. You're going to pay more taxes than ever. You're going to work harder than ever. You're going to get less benefit for it. And that's my answer. And Jeroboam stands up along with his faction. He says, well, if that's the way it is, we're out of here. We're going home. <laughs> and he and ten tribes just leave Shechem. And, and uh, poor little Rehoboam's left there just with the tribe of Judah and one other little tribe of Benjamin. And he's left with just the two, really one and a half tribes. The rest of them went home, and uh, it falls apart. Well, he gets upset, of course. He doesn't know how to respond to that, so he responds again in strength and in, in vin and vindictiveness and anger, and he pulls together. He sounds the trumpet in Jerusalem. He says, okay, everybody come together. We're going to go to war. We're going to have a civil war here, and 185,000 soldiers armed for battle, show up at Jerusalem, and they're ready to go to war. They're just about ready to march out, and God sends a prophet to him and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't have brother fighting against brother. This is actually my will that this has happened. The split was my, my doing because this is what I promised. This is what I forewarned Solomon about. So everybody needs to go home. And so they, they stop the war. They never go to war against each other, but they are never reconciled. They are never healed. They are never reunited. The kingdom that is divided this moment remains in two, broken in two. Now, both Jeroboam and Rehoboam's actions here show a good bit of action, uh, of anger, of, of arrogance, of, of uh, self-interest. Uh, 
Even though both of them had a good reason to expect to be king, they neither one handled themselves very well. And their stories illustrate something that is true across the board for people. And that is that if you are living a life and you are far from God and you're not in a constant relationship with God and you are not understanding God and you're not following God, then you're going to have trouble. You're going to have division. You're going to have people mad at each other and you're going to have to be going to war with other people and you're going to have to be fighting for your own way because you're not following God. And as long as you are far from God, as long as you are living for yourselves, that's what's going to happen. That is a fact you can count on. Now, we've got something coming up that I want to show you in timeline. Not everybody's going to see this, but this is the beginning. We'll make this available to you so you can print out and look at it a little bit more. But this is how we've begun. We began out here with the nation of Israel with one king, Saul. Still one kingdom, David, and then Solomon. But at this point, it splits wide open into two kingdoms. There's the nation of Israel, which is to the north, which is led by Jeroboam the first. There's Jeroboam the second later on. (laughs) And he's the first king of that nation. Ten tribes are up in the northern part of the region we now call Israel. In the southern part is Judah and and Benjamin only, led by Rehoboam. And what you see coming across there is all these kings that are going to follow. And we're going to see a bunch of sordid stories here, folks. You're going to see a lot of things that you wish you never read. You're going to to read about some kings that were doing some really bad things. And some of them were trying to outdo the guy before him and get the nation into more trouble, into more wickedness and more sin. And in fact, Jeroboam, who has been made king over Israel, starts off right away by creating golden calves for the people to, to follow and to worship and to bow down to. Rehoboam and Jeroboam remind us of many people today, people who don't know God, people who live far from God, people who, who don't live for God's purpose in their lives, and people whose lives can end in tragedy all too easily. When we see brokenness, when we see struggles, when we see division, when we see people at odds with each other, it is a result of sin, and it's a result of people not following God. How many of you remember singer, songwriter John Denver? Okay, how many of you love to listen to John Denver? Okay, some of his songs, just incredible, really incredible. In the 70s and 80s, he's a very popular performer in America and actually worldwide. Uh, I read to where uh, he became famous, you know, over in China. And he found out that one of his songs was the favorite song of China for a few years there. It's amazing. Some of you know some of these songs. Uh, Take Me Home, Country Road. Know that one? Sunshine on My Shoulders. Rocky Mountain High. I want you just to sing a few bars with me, would you? Okay. Take me home, country road, to the place that I love. West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home. Country road. Hey, you guys are doing really good. How about this one? Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. Sunshine in my eyes can make me cry. Sunshine on the water looks so lovely. Sunshine always, always makes me high. wonder about that making him high kind of thing. That last song was so popular it found its way onto 21 of his albums. 
Now, young people, I'm going to tell you what an album is. <laughs> We're talking vinyls, okay, vinyls. That distilled that me thing. That's not linoleum on the floor. We're talking about little round discs, very flat, and they would somehow put the music on there, and it would spin around, and it would play all the songs starting at the outside edge and going to the middle, right? That's how it worked. They don't know what we're talking about. Sorry. But those are vinyls. Those are albums. And John Denver sold millions and millions of those. But you know what happened? John Denver died in a plane crash, didn't he? 1997. A horrible plane crash. A single-engine plane. He was by himself, and he crashed and died. We've just gone through that with Paul Walker, haven't we? He wasn't by himself, but same thing. Fiery crash death of somebody that had great influence and a lot of popularity. But Denver's mishap was an accident waiting to happen. It wasn't an accident. Uh, And some people have said maybe it was a suicide, but I'm not sure of that. I think he was just being careless. The National Transportation Safety Board determined the probable causes of the accident. One was inadequate pre-flight planning. He, He didn't get ready. He just jumped in the plane and took off. He failed to refuel the airplane. And soon he ran out of gas in the first tank, so he's switching over to the second tank. And that was the problem because where the switchover point was, he had to bend way down there. He wasn't even familiar with it. He's searching around for it, trying to find it. And as he did it, the right rudder dropped and he crashed. He didn't know how to fly the plane. He didn't know how to change to the other fuel line. And that's what happened. Inadequate training inadequate preparation, lack of experience, and the diversion of his attention at the time he was flying from flying. When flying anymore, now he's trying to figure out how am I going to keep fuel going to this engine. (laughs) Mark Tidwell is a guy that spent about 20 years in the Air Force and aircraft safety, and he told about a saying that they have there. They frequently use it when they're debriefing flight incidents. And the saying is this, the mishap has already occurred. The aircraft is now simply proceeding to the crash site. (laughs) Think about that a minute. The mishaps already happened. The plane's just getting to the crash site now. But you think about that for a minute. There are certain actions a pilot performs, does not perform, uh, which make an aircraft mishap simply a matter of time. If he fails to do maintenance, if he fails to do the safety checks, a crash is inevitable. You might get away with it the first time, the second time, the third time. John Denver did. This was not a new occurrence for him, I'm told. But this time he jumped in the plane. He wasn't prepared. He ran out of fuel, didn't know how to switch over to the other tank, and he died. For all of his talents as a musician, his habitual pattern of cutting corners, failure to plan, diverting his attention from what he was doing, was an eventual recipe for disaster. Think about that, because you may be doing the same thing. As long as he kept flying with those habits, it was fairly certain that sooner or later his plane would arrive not on a runway, but at an accident site. Remember last week? We said when you start a long journey, you may just be one degree off from the direction you should be going, but eventually that one degree arrives at hundreds of miles away from where you plan to go. 
An ongoing accumulation then of bad habits doomed both John Denver and Solomon, the nation of Israel. By the time we get to chapter 14 of the story, we can rephrase the Air Air Force saying in this way, the sin had already occurred. The sin had already occurred. It was just that Israel was simply now proceeding to the crash site. It's going to happen. God said it would, and it did. And what happened in chapter 14 was caused mostly by pilot error, by the leadership not following God, not staying true to God, letting their hearts become divided. Solomon disobeyed. Israel went into tailspin that was unrecoverable, and even Jeroboam and Rehoboam followed him. Now, what are the mistakes he made? I just want to mention three, and then we'll stop for today. First of all, he looked the wrong place for guidance. He had some good guys to ask. He asked them the right question. They gave the right answer, and he ignored it. He refused it. So he went to his younger friends who didn't really know what they were talking about, didn't have the experience in leadership, didn't know about life, really how people would react. They didn't know that it would be such a violent reaction to it, and they doomed him to failure. He didn't trust the wisdom uh, of the Proverbs his father had given him. He didn't trust the law of Moses. And most importantly, he didn't look to God. You know, we read about other kings, King David, for instance, who, when he was faced with a decision, would inquire of God. We went to Judges. Before that, what are we supposed to do, God? And God would say, go or don't go, stay or fight or whatever was needed. But we don't see Rehoboam, Jeroboam looking to God. And so 85% of his nation left him. Could you imagine over 200 million Americans seceding from the Union? You imagine that? You imagine that two-thirds of the country, or well, more than three-fourths of the country, just splits off and says, forget it. We're going to be our own nation now. That's what happened here. And we can make the same mistake personally by seeking the opinion and advice of our friends and peers because they are our same age, and they seem to know what's going on. They seem with it. They seem like they're really doing well. And it's a show, maybe. Maybe they really don't. Maybe they're really not as successful as we might think they are. And some of the people we watch that are popular today, the people that have great influence, and, and we see them because they're put on the news and they're put in front of us all the time. We follow them as if they know what they're doing. A lot of people were following John Denver, too. This is why it is so important that we stay in God's word every day, that we keep our hearts open to God every day. And this is why it's important, as we learned just last week, pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment because we need it so desperately. There's a lot of foolishness out there, often from people who seem pretty smart, people that have a lot of charisma, So don't be fooled like Rehoboam was. Secondly, he made this mistake. He led from fear and from insecurity. He didn't lead from strength, strength of a relationship with God. He led from his own fear and insecurity. And when he was faced to make a decision, uh, he decided that he would, would exalt himself, that he would show his power. He would make a show of strength. He would rule by intimidation and by bravado. A lot of leaders like that hunger for approval. They really are insecure. And so they they come out forcefully because they really don't know what they're doing. And they really don't have the wisdom and they don't have the, the foundation that they can build their nation on. And so they come out strong and hard and wrong. And they act rashly because they're afraid. This is what Rehoboam did. Jeroboam didn't do a whole lot better. 
Out of fear, he built shrines to other gods for his people to worship. He catered to his people's desires. You know, he, he heard them say, we need life easier. Okay, I'll make your life easier. We want other gods. Okay, I'll give you other gods. And so he started building these other shrines, other places for them to worship. And he got his own group of priests because he didn't have the priests from Levi. He had to make his own. And he didn't have his own uh, rituals and sacrifices, but he came up with his own system. And he created that because he was also operating out of fear and insecurity. Many kings that we're going to see in that, that chart are going to do the same thing. Make sure you're not living your life out of fear or insecurity and you're, you're jumping at things and you're trying to do things that, that you really don't know what you're doing. Stop and consider and pray and ask for wisdom and seek the counsel of godly people to help you before you jump into something. Third thing he did was he lived for himself, not for God. There is a reason the first two of the Ten Commandments deal specifically with no other gods, no graven images, because God is jealous of our love. God is jealous of our loyalty, and he knows that we're going to get in deep trouble if we forget him, if we don't leave him at the top of our lives in his rightful place that belongs only to him. He is our creator. We owe our lives to him. In him is life. And he is our Savior who has redeemed us from sin and death and hell. He is our Lord to whom we owe our very allegiance. So if we live for ourselves and what pleases us, we will have divided hearts and our lives will be doomed to suffer the same pain Rehoboam and Jeroboam suffered. And so will our families. So will our friends who are in some way, to some degree, under our influence. They're watching us. They're watching our witness. They're watching how we live our lives. If we say we're devoted to Jesus and we wear the name Christian, but they see us doing other things, a witness is shot. That undivided heart is not being displayed. They're seeing division even within us. If your loyalties are split in any way, if God only shares the throne in your heart and in your home with someone else or something else, then divisiveness is going to become a way of life for you and there's a lot of pain there. Solomon's divided heart split the nation of Israel. He flew the plane named Israel into treacherous airspace by giving in to the pagan worship of his wives. His loyalties were divided, so the split between the northern and southern kingdom was a natural consequence of flying into enemy territory. How many of you remember when John F. Kennedy Jr. died in another plane crash? That was two years after John Denver, 1999. In that accident, safety board determined that the probable cause was Kennedy's failure to maintain control of the plane during a descent over water at night when he couldn't see. It was foggy. It was a result of what they call spatial disorientation. He didn't know up from down. He didn't know right from left, and he's flying a plane blindly. How terrifying that must have been for him and the young lady that was with him. He didn't trust his in instruments because his instruments were telling him what was right. He had instruments on board that said, here's how you get the plane back to level. Here's how you know where you're flying, you know, in, in parallel to the earth instead of straight at the earth. They were basically flying straight down, and he didn't even know it. So let me strongly encourage you this morning, never stop trusting God, your instruments, your one true guide. 
There are going to be many times in your life and in mine where it's going to feel like we're flying through fog. We really don't know what to do. Maybe you're at a decision point in your life about a job or something in your family. Maybe you're at a point in your life where, where there's a lot of trouble going on. And you know that you're part of the cause for that. Or maybe you are, are reaping the consequences, as Dan was talking about, of somebody else's sin. But it's still a troubling time, a time when disorientation can so easily happen. What a time to pray for wisdom. What a time to seek God in your life. To keep your heart open. To look into the Word of God. To become a student of this Word. Because God has not made this thing about God's will all that difficult. If we will read. If we will open our hearts. If we will listen. If we will obey. So humble yourself before God. Obey Him completely. And your life and your witness will be strong. And you will not have that divided heart that got Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam in so much trouble. Can I pray for you this morning, please? Father, I pray for each person in this room that our hearts would be completely open to you, that we would not be uh, divided in loyalty or allegiance, that we would not be confused uh, by all of the ideas and values uh, and advice that the world throws at us. Um, I just pray, Lord, that we would be listening to you and you alone and that we would have the wisdom that you could give us and help us, Lord, in our obedience, in our allegiance, uh, in our, our choices, our decisions, that we would seek you out first of all. And most importantly, we would listen to you, not to anyone else. I pray for each person in this room today, some that may not know Jesus yet, uh, that their hearts would open up to him, that they would explore who he is, what he has done, and what he wants. I pray for those that have just become Christians, that they would be able to change the way they think, not to think uh, according to what their friends say, according to the peer pressures around them, or even to the influence of the media, or to someone they admire, but their hearts would be open to you. I pray for those who have been Christians for a long time, like myself, who still can be tempted to somehow divide up our allegiance, somehow have more than one God going in our lives, and to be listening not only to you, but to some other voices, some other influences, that we would be strong, that we would be tuned only to your channel, and that we would be looking at you as, as uh, the instruments to help us be guided safely through the fog of life. Uh, Lord, I pray that these examples of the people we've talked about today a long time ago and more recently would be instructive to us and that we would wake up and that we would think and we would trust. I pray this in Jesus' name.